And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Shamrock, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on-demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna after an audience 44-34 win over North Carolina. It was entertaining. There was a, a lot happened, um, and we'll get into all of that in these in this episode of the Shamrock. I don't know what you're if I if I took. Kyron Williams' 91-yard run off the table, Matt. What was the story of this game? Other than that, Miss Lincoln, who we uh, <laughs> got a Gettysburg Address uh, um, reference from Brian Kelly in the postgame press conference, uh, my takeaway was this was kind of like USC last week, although I didn't know what USC football program would be like this year. Uh, this game unfolded the way I think like back in August we thought Notre Dame-North Carolina would unfold, like that North Carolina offense that uh, – up till today, this season had not traveled, traveled, um, and it found a defense without Kyle Hamilton that was a little bit more vulnerable than usual, and they took advantage of it. But uh, that Notre Dame offense the last two weeks has looked the way I think we all thought it would eventually turn out, um, at least in the early point of the season. Jack Cohn really seems to be in a groove right now. Uh, Kyron Williams, even without that 91-yard touchdown run, uh, would have had more than 100 yards rushing. Um, the offensive line got the game ball, which – that's something I definitely didn't see coming this year, but that's where we are right now. And, Let's be honest. Like, Kyron Williams should have got the game ball. Uh, and then maybe, maybe he just handed it off to the offensive line. Kyron Williams, maybe he got to make the decision of who got the game ball. Maybe he did, um, and I'd be perfectly fine with that. Um, as we talk, as we start this podcast, Virginia's down 45-42 in the middle of the third quarter to BYU. I'd love to see how many points we miss while talking about this, but that's a nice segue into what I think and what I believe you think is – the only possible losable game left under the yeah. schedule, at least based on the Irish team we have seen to date so far. I mean, uh, it was an impressive showing offensively. I mean, another game where they're outgamed, which I just want to put that out there. It doesn't mean anything, and it means less and less as we continue to recite that stat after they beat USC, after they beat Wisconsin, after they beat North Carolina. But that was the reality of the situation tonight. Um, but, again, you get 293 rushing yards without Chris Tyree. You get Jack Cohn running a 21-yard touchdown um, with his legs, which I don't think Tyler Buckner's ever done that. Um, he might have. Uh, I don't think so. Not that long, though, I don't think. And uh, just an overall efficient game. I mean, there was one turnover between both teams. It was a about as clean of a game, um, not necessarily defensively, but as far or as – Or officiating-wise. Well, that, that, that's par for the course in college football these days. I mean, it's, it's hard to even keep up right now with what's what in that regard. Um yeah, I take that back. North Carolina had a couple really dumb mistakes. They had a hold that wiped out a TD in the first half that Sam Howell was probably going to get anyway, and they had a face mask uh, on a fourth down play when they were going to stop. That Notre was a Dame. really bad one. So, uh, yeah, it was a cleaner game for North Carolina. It was a clean game for the most part all around for Notre Dame. And I think, you know, again, think, you know, as good as 5-1 is, I don't know how good you felt about this program 
or how good I felt about this program after each one of them. After these last two weeks, I feel good. Like I feel good about them going 11-1. Obviously, they, they do have at least one really tough test defensively coming up uh, in two weeks. But uh, this is the program when we got together in August and did our season preview podcast and wondered, you know, maybe they're actually better than we thought they would be. Maybe this offense is not going to take that big of a step back. Uh, now they're looking like that team, and I think there are a lot of possibilities in front of them. I agree. It's um, the last two weeks plus four minutes. Um, I think it should give you a little confidence about where Notre Dame can go offensively. Um, and where Notre Dame goes offensively is where the rest of the team goes, without Kyle Hamilton in particular. It's to allow 564 yards in the game and win – um, you had to win this game on offense because the defense just didn't have it. Um, you know, Brian Kelly talked about coaching some things better, but you're not going to replace Kyle Hamilton the rest of the way. It, I mean, it doesn't matter if you could, like, get a zombie Marcus Freeman, Clark Lee, Mike Elko mashup. Um, it, you, that wouldn't make a difference because at the back, the back seven of their defense now is kind of average. They don't, they don't have a player who – changes the dynamics of the game. So I think they're going to be holding on for dear life, particularly at Virginia. Um, maybe they will be fine in the other three games. But, um, you know, I, I, it's interesting. You, you sort of live these games watching them, but also on Twitter and how people are responding. And, I mean, you would have thought that Reese was calling his worst game of the year based on some of the feedback that I've been getting. And it's like, why are you covering for Reese? Like, you know, why, you know, you're a, you're a ball, clearly. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Like, what are we watching? Um, you know, Notre Dame's skill position talent offensively is good. Uh, Kyron Williams is great. Michael Mayer is great. But they finished the game with five healthy scholarship receivers, one of them who hasn't even played in a game this year, and Jaden Thomas. So it's now, now you have to make something out of some freshman receivers, and they are with Lorenzo Styles in particular. Logan Diggs, Joe Alt. Um, you know, it's you at the top of the show, you mentioned like this is sort of the offense that we thought we we're gonna see all year. Like the box scores, yes. How they're getting to the box score, absolutely not. Um, you know, we thought this was gonna be more of a deep shot passing game with Jack Cohen. Well, he completes his first 20 yard pass in terms of air yards to Kevin Austin tonight. It's his first one since he hit Kevin Austin against Wisconsin for a touchdown. Um you know, we thought the offensive line was going to be young and in transition, but not nearly the way that it's shake, you know, shaken out with Joe Alt at left tackle. You know, Chris Tyree doesn't play tonight. It's, uh, you know, at one point he's, you know, a five-star prospect, a top 100 prospect with 4-3 speed. Um, and they still figure out a way to go over 500 yards. Um, and, you know, when Brian Kelly talks about this as a team that's improving, like, absolutely offensively. Um, defensively, I don't know how you could make that conclusion but um they're improving so much so quickly offensively now over the last nine quarters um that that's that's really the story and it's i mean certainly led by Kyron williams who seems to affect everyone on the entire program with confidence yeah even um during the game not long after that run mike trico had said on the broadcast tommy reese told him you know Kyron's a tone setter uh, for the entire offense, not just the running back room. And, you know, we, we see that when we watch him play on TV and on person. We see the interactions on the sideline. He's, the, the quotes, not just from him, but from his teammates about him, but really from him. I mean, <laughs> like there's just such a natural, like, I don't know. We, we've been around enough BSers 
in this program and in the sport over time. Like there's just such a natural like confidence and charisma that he carries with him everywhere he goes that it's just oh, yeah. like was that your best run? I don't know. I had better in high school. Like just kind of like casual. You know what I mean? Like it's just like he's that's infectious. And like I, I, I asked this as a legitimate question because um, I didn't know the answer. And I, to the best of my knowledge, I have one legitimate comparison. I'm curious to hear your point. I said, is he the most valuable football player at Notre Dame of the Brian Kelly era? And I've got a, you know, it's, it's like everything online is somewhat divisive and I've got an, a lot of replies to that one, but the only one that I can legitimately look at and, and think, make an argument for would be Manti Teo. When you look at the the tenor of that season, and as someone put to me, he got Bob Diaco a head coaching job. Um, but um, I, I I think it's between those two guys. I really do. That's not to say they haven't been better players to play for Brian Kelly, but when you look at their impact on and off the field and how, to use Brian Kelly's word, pervasive it is, I mean – I thought they were going to get a celebration penalty from DJ Brown's pick because they were still celebrating Kyron Williams' 91-yard run, <laughs> one play from scrimmage earlier, and they just poured onto the field after. I mean, um, and, and to do it on this team with this line, like credit to the line for like making incremental improvements over the last three weeks after they just kept going backwards, backwards, backwards throughout the first half of the season. But like, you know, all due respect to Josh Adams and Theo Riddick and – CJ Proceis, yeah, yeah, like those guys. That's over. Th- those guys that, w- behind this line would be averaging one yard per carry, if that. Like, and that's no disrespect to them. No disrespect, Josh Adams, who entire Heisman campaign was built around the offensive line because they were the best in the country that year. Like, and all those guys have played in the NFL and done well for themselves. But like, like that ninety-one yard run was all Kyron Williams. Like, no question about it. Oh yeah, uh, that. I mean, this was. Uh... I think after last week, I sort of threw out there on Twitter. It's like, Kyron Williams is a favorite Notre Dame running back since who? Um, Bet- if not Bet- ever. Bettis? I mean. <laughs> yeah, Bet- like Bettis. Um, you got a, little, a couple Autry Densons in there. But like a lot of Josh Adams. Um, Theoretic, a bunch. Someone voted for TJ Jones. Cam McDaniel? Like, no. Cam McDaniel was one. Cam McDaniel noticed that. Um, but but he's, he's going to, not to cut you off, Tyler James tweeted a picture of Kyron Williams' kicks tonight which were uh, Yeezys, Adidas. And I immediately DM'd him because I said I did the same thing when Car- when uh, Cam McDaniel wore uh, PF Flyers to a- an interview once. And <laughs> I got a very na- angry call from Notre Dame, which had gotten a very angry call from Under Armour because they saw my tweet. Hopefully in the NIL era, there's a little bit more personal freedom when it comes to apparel, especially since Adidas, to my knowledge, is not paying Kyron Williams to wear those. But go on. Who, who, who are the other <laughs> best running backs? No, I'm just saying, like, that argument's over. It's Kyron Williams. Like I, I would not put Kyron Williams ahead of Manti Teo in terms of the most important players of the Brian Kelly era, and I don't, I don't see a way another player could even do that um, based on like where Notre Dame was when Manti showed up. Like Manti freaking dragged the entire program out of eight and five seasons. Like Kyron Williams showed up here, and Notre Dame was already good, um, and he's going to leave after two years of production, not four. So. Different story, different set of circumstances. But in terms of the best running back since, that argument to me is like, you can, if you want to go back to Bettis, yes, totally get it. But that's it. Um, it's not Josh Adams. It's not Theo Riddick. It's not Autry Denson. It's not Julius Jones. Uh, it's Kyron Williams. Um, that's of the last 20 years. So 
what he's doing now um, with this line in particular is just, it's completely ridiculous. And it's, it's not only that, he's also returning punts. I mean, how often have we seen Notre Dame like scared to death to put a starting running back back there on punt return every other season? That's, that's, that's how often that happens. It has never happened. Also, he's a really good receiver. Um, and then DJ Brown's also talking about, hey, we helped out the defense this week with leadership pregame. And I asked him a little bit about that after the game. About He's like, yeah, I didn't really do a whole lot more this week than normal. But certainly he's aware that like on a team with maybe two alphas, now there's only one because Kyle Hamilton's out for the foreseeable future. So uh, now it's like in the beginning of the season, Kyron Williams was putting the running game on his back. Then he was putting the offense on his back. And now he's putting the program on his back. Like, it's really incredible to watch. I mean, you you do the Heisman straw poll for us. And, like, just got your ballot. <laughs> Kenneth Walker, num- number one. Kenny Pickett, number two. Kyron Williams, number three for me. I've never I've never even considered putting Kyron Williams on there until tonight. Um, and, like, if he keeps this up for the rest of the season, which, like, there's a pretty good chance that he will. Chris Tyree is not totally healthy. Freshman running back is kind of the number three back right now. Um he will he will somehow like get over like a thousand yards with this line, which is just completely ridiculous. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I'm glad, I, just, I was going to mention your ballot, which came in. Um, first one I've seen from Kai Williams so far. I'll see if there are others. I don't think he'll make my top three. I haven't looked at it yet, but like, I'm not going to argue against it. I mean, as far as individual efforts and performances, like he's he's just – at an incredible level right now. The, the one thing, by the way, I got a lot of replies by a lot of different reply, a lot of different players of the Brian Kelly area. I did not get a single one unless I missed it about Jalen Smith, which is surprising because as far as in, impactful, um, him committing to Kelly before yeah, it was a big one. B- before they had that 2012 season uh, was really, really important as Virginia scores uh, in in another. Well, I, I felt like. Uh, Favorite former Reds announcer there in a drive to deep left by Cassanos as I was uh, talking. Um, 
Kelly, by the way, a lot of praise in his opening statement. He talked about improving football team. He talked about keeping up the energy after a rival game. A lot of praise for Sam Howell. Said he's just what a war what a warrior he is. I got a chance to talk yeah. to him after the game. Just class act. And look, Howell. I haven't seen them all, so I don't want to say this is the best game. I'd be surprised if it wasn't, though. A guy had 341 passing yards, 101 rushing yards. Seemed like a one-man show for a while there. <laughs> it was remarkable, and I know the circumstances could not be more different. But last year, do you remember when they beat him? It was Kelly, Annie, and Buck coming out fiery like, hey, everyone was talking about Howell as a top-10 quarterback, but not Ian Buck. Look what we did today. And today it's like, oh, what a warrior, <laughs> Sam Howell. Um, look, I, I get it. I just thought it was pretty funny. Uh, the dichotomy between um, both those. Uh, you mentioned the defense. Um, it was interesting, you know, that that I think it was the last touchdown from Antoine Green, the 33-yarder, where um, for Carolina, where he was wide open. Looked like Ramon Henderson on there, uh, but Cam Hart was the one who got the earful from Mike Mickens and Brian Kelly on the sideline. Um, like, those are plays that can't happen against Virginia. And that's, I mean, that was some weird stuff tonight where, like, I don't know if that's Hamilton related. Does you know? Does he make the call there that gets people aligned that DJ Brown or Houston Griffith can't make? Is it just inexperience? Is it fatigue? I don't really know. Um, Carolina's offense has some pretty slick stuff in it. Um, you know the the Howell throw across of his body on third down that was a first down until it was overturned and they're short. You know some of the tunnel screens they had set up that didn't even hit. The wheel routes, the rub routes, like the straight-up pick play to Josh Downs for, I think, 41 yards. Um, they've got some really tricky stuff in it, um, and I think they were able to sort of play to the line and beyond it on some things. But, like, you got to defend that because if you're Virginia and you have a similar-style quarterback and a somewhat similar-style offense, I guess, like you you can see where Notre Dame is weak defensively right now. They're, they're back seven. You know, I'd put the linebackers in there too. Um, are very average right now. Um, they're not. They're not. They don't have a playoff back seven. I don't. I don't think they have a New Year's Six back seven. But they've got some real, real talent in some other positions to make up for it, including Isaiah Foskey. I thought Jason Adamilola had sort of a really sneaky great game. At um, you know, the number of tackles he made that. If he didn't, would have turned into twenty-yard plays or more. I, you know, there must have been three or four of them. Uh, and because he's in the right place at the right time, they don't. So there's, they had some, they had some good defensive performances up front on the line, but at the back seven, it's a very average group. And, and frankly, I, I'm not sure how that gets better. Right, like you're not going to just upgrade your talent in the back seven, nor do I think is there, there's not a Lorenzo styles in the back seven. It's probably a good way to look at it. Like there's not a young player who's really coming on. Um, So they may just have to live with it. They're going to be certainly against Virginia. That's a, you may have to score 40 to win type of game. The other ones, I think they could control. They should be okay because those offenses are not good, but at Virginia, man, you're going to have – Reese is going to have to be on his game because Notre Dame's defense, I think, will probably struggle quite a bit. Yeah, that game's looking more and more fun just from a, a pure, like, fan oh, yeah. neutrals perspective right now as you see Virginia do what they've done week after weekend. As we see Notre Dame's offense get into the rhythm it's gotten into mm-hmm. the past two weeks. I, I I did think Kyle Hamilton was missed more in the run game. I thought some of those long runs were just, like, attacking the free safety spot and just baiting them into 
misdirection and just not having the athletes back there who could close the yeah. gap in space. Uh, the, the linebackers, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm down on them, but we knew coming in with some of those preseason injuries, like they got to go with what they got. Uh, you know, to your point, there's no Lorenzo Styles. There's no one back there. Like J.D. Bertrand is that guy, and he's been that guy all season long. I um, thought I thought tonight was a you really missed what Maris Leafau you thought you were going to have. Because um, like I J.D. Bertrand, full credit to him. I don't know if he's worn down or he's right. hurt, but the last really since the end of the Cincinnati game, I think he's he's struggled. Um, has not played all that well at all. Um, you know, you needed a rotation there. Also, there's a reason Leofi was starting over him to begin with. Um, you know, you're supposed to have two dynamic will linebackers. You just have one who can't come off the field, and I think you're sort of seeing the results of that now. So, it, but yeah, was it going to be an elite defense with Kyle Hamilton? No, but it was going to be a good one. And, you know, they're, I'm not sure that they're good right now um, as an overall unit. I think they're just sort of above average. I think that's fair, especially after tonight. And then, you know, next week, Navy, Virginia, right? I'm not imagining this back-to-back. Yes. That's a wrinkle that we haven't talked about, and that's not insignificant. Um, I know Navy isn't the Navy of yesteryear, but like, <laughs> can you imagine two different offenses to try to defend in back-to-back weeks than those two? I mean, is it any different than North Carolina to Navy? Right, but, like, you're not... You know what I mean? Like, it's... It's, it's but, a but very, Navy's it's, a, Navy's a, Navy's like just you have that you knew you know every year what Navy's going to be. It's just a matter of how well they execute. Like if you're Notre yeah. if you're Notre Dame like so far, this this year quite poorly. Yeah, but like if you're Notre Dame like that that's just built into your DNA. Like they hire like that's a vetting process with the defense coordinator hire every time they have a new one. Like what's your plan yeah, for the can option? You stop this. Um, and Freeman. I mean, it seems like it does bake in the fact that Notre Dame's going to be losing 10 nothing at Virginia in the first quarter. Well, I'm just like... Because they're just going to be like, oh, look, we're back to playing real defense again. <laughs> well, and not just real defense, real defense against what might be the best offense in the country by, by the time that game arrives. Um, like, what? remember, you know, until the last four or five years, like, that body blow theory was real. I mean, they were like 2-5 yeah. and five or whatever it was. Kelly's first seven years in the week after Navy, and those two wins were Purdue in 2012 um, when they needed a miracle of Tommy Reese. And uh, um, what was the other one? Pitt at home maybe? or I, I mean, it, they were not impressive victories by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, that's just one thing as, as I'm looking down the line, as I have Virginia on now, like that's, that's something to also be considered when we're talking about the vulnerabilities of this defense. Cause that's just free. I think Freeman will have him right for Navy. I mean, Freeman played Navy three or four years at Cincinnati. Well, I think it also like it suits Notre Dame. What is strong about Notre Dame, the four, four that they played against Wisconsin, you play that against Navy. That's where your, your best personnel is on the field. Cause you're, you're sort of damage limitation at the back. Cause you're taking one guy off. Right. USC and, and Virginia and North Carolina, they don't let you do that. They force you to play nickel, um, which is already a weakness. Now without Hamilton, it's it's just it's a invitation to like chuck the ball all over the place now. Um, so that's I think they'll be fine against Navy, but man, that Virginia right. game, it's like you said that that is going to be a fun fun game to watch uh, if you like high-scoring college football, if you're just like a Notre Dame fan who enjoys low-scoring football and Notre Dame comfortably winning, I'm sorry, that game's <laughs> not for you. Uh, but for everybody else, it's just 
that's going to be a hell of a show. It's uh, and it, but like I sort of get back to what I said earlier, and this is something that Brian Kelly said tonight about Tommy Reese and the offense stuck with me because I wrote a story a couple weeks ago about how Reese develops quarterbacks mm-hmm. and sort of Reese's approach is if you're playing quarterback for me, I give you all the answers. All you, what you have to do is identify right. the question. And so when Brian Kelly gets up there tonight and says, we had so many more answers than North Carolina had questions, that to me is, speaks of a coach that really believes in where his offense is going and is where his offensive coordinator is taking it. Uh, and that is, that's a really significant thing because I, I do think the rest of the season they're going to have to win on offense and the head coach has confidence that his offensive coordinator can do that. And I'm not... I don't think on August 1st that was necessarily a given. No, because you didn't know what you had at quarterback. And in, in even yeah. that Virginia game, there's no time announced yet. It should be announced Monday. Would not surprise me at all if they make that a six-day option with everything else going on that weekend. But that's a night game, too. One more layer that will make it interesting. I wonder if the ACC Network tries to take that one to reel in a few more subscribers. Wouldn't surprise me. But ABC might take it with the way huh. these offenses have been playing the last couple of weeks. Um Telling point to me um, that Brian Kelly said in the same vein as, as, as you mentioned with him talking about um, Tommy Reese, or excuse me, with, with Tommy Reese talking about his philosophy of playing quarterbacks. Kelly got asked, um, got asked, you know, where's Cohen more comfortable? He said he's never played this type of offense before. He's gotten more comfortable throughout the course of the season. Uh, but but he's, he called the Virginia Tech game, quote, an epiphany for us, um, which is a pretty strong word and I think appropriate word to use. Um, because he talked about Cone not playing well that game and then going in and winning it at the end when he was re- reinserted. And he said, okay, we got this figured out. Um, it's pretty crazy to think about. And it's probably the truth. It's probably accurate. It, it seems accurate you know, to the outside eye. But like two-minute drill at Virginia Tech <laughs> against on the sixth game of the season, right before the bye, coming off a loss, is when like the page turned for this offense. And... It's hard to argue when you look at the product that's been on the field the last couple of weeks. The Lions played better. Cones looked a million times more comfortable. He's been given a lot more freedom. Um, he's sped things up a little bit more. And everyone around him is playing better as a result of it. And that's what um, I think that's this offense when, when it's clicking, um, which we did not really get a chance to see through the first five games of the season. And that's a good thing for Notre Dame. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, there's no question. They're figuring things out as they go. And I, I think that they're Kelly is comfortable enough in that process that he can sort of make fun of himself about like why it took so long to get here. And I don't like 
so long. Like it didn't just took a few games. Like it makes sense that it took a while to get there, but um, just that they got to a place with Cone that maybe they didn't think they were going to go initially, but they were open and mind enough to let Cone and the players take them, take them there. If you're Reese and if you're Kelly, so you have to give the staff credit for sort of accepting and learning from the first five games or the first four games in three quarters and then moving on from there. And I think what they found out from there is, is fairly sustainable. Um, you know, and it's like you sort of look at, you know, an Austin drop there here, a Davis drop there. Um, there's still more out there. I don't, I don't feel like they're maxed everything out despite guys getting banged up. I do think styles will continue to get better. Um, you know, Deion Colsey has done some good things, you know, but as long as, Bottom line, as long as you have Kyron Williams in the offense, you have a chance every week that you play. You can speed it up um, and you know try to play like you played tonight. I think you can still slow it down with Kyron Williams and try to lean on people. Um, that so it's you can play a bunch of different ways. I mean that that guy is he's the entire offense right now uh, with some satellite like. I think Michael Mayer is the best pro prospect in the mm-hmm. offense, but Kyrie Williams is the is the best player. He's the dude of that offense right now. There's just no you just can't you cannot deny that. No, Ryan Harris called him that on our podcast last week. I, I didn't disagree with it at the time, but there's no doubt about it after watching what transpired uh, tonight against North Carolina. Drew, Drew Brees, by the way, who if we're giving out grades, I'm going to give close to an A. I don't think he's quite Tony Romo yet, but I think he's done a phenomenal job calling Notre Dame, Notre Dame game so far in his first year as a TV guy. told a pretty funny Mac Brown story, which was pretty much the same Mac Brown story of every quarterback he ever let get away from Austin. (laughs) Um, He he talked about visiting him while he was at North Carolina and then uh, being at the NFF dinner when he was at Purdue and seeing him when he was a coach at at Texas. And Mac Brown saying, like, if I were at Texas when you were in Austin, I would have never let you get out of here. And he says, Coach, we've already met. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Um, God bless Mac Brown. Great guy, great coach. But the the these stories upon stories of quarterbacks um, he didn't want from that state will just will continue to persist long after he's done being a college football coach. It's just something else. I also want to, as someone who may or may not have um, been absolutely burned uh, in a certain game in Death Valley today with a backdoor cover um, by Clemson, I want to credit uh, Notre Dame for leaving no doubt on that last. Uh, on that last drive, called a timeout before the last play of the game to preserve their three-and-a-half-point cover when Carolina had a chance to cut the lead to three. I'm also a little surprised, just for literal like competition sake, Carolina didn't just kick a field goal immediately when they got down there because it's not like you're going to score 10 points on one trip there. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. It's real-life football. It's not Madden, but that wouldn't surprise me a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – it's how was the environment? I mean, I saw they did the green stuff again. I mean, I doubt it was as electric as USC was because nothing's really ever as electric as USC is. But, I mean, it was fine. Without comparing it to last week, how was it? Yeah, it was – I mean, it was good. You know, you had a good – this combination of, like, well, it's not USC. Also, it's not the first time. Like, you had a a good confluence of events, um, you know, a week ago that that none of it was in fact – it was in play tonight. The weather wasn't as good. Uh, the the crowd was softer, um, but it was still it was still a good environment. Um, you know, they they listed the attendance at seventy one thousand, so not 
not that close to a sellout, but sort of in the ballpark. Um, you know, I think that's probably going to be the case the last two games as well. There's certainly a lot of empty seats close to the sidelines. Um, that, it, but it was a good, it was a good environment. Um, you know, they North Carolina false started because of in a crowd noise situation. I think that if you're Notre Dame, you sort of take that every time and run with it. Um, yeah, it, it, the crowd got quite angsty with all the excessive uh, officiating reviews that came tonight. So that was that was another part they were in tune with. So. I mean, overall, I thought it was it was a good environment, even if it wasn't a sellout. And you know, I mean, one one point that is worth making, like, you know, we're sort of focused on Notre Dame, but like, you just sort of look at the bigger picture for Notre Dame, at least when it pertains to the New Year's Six, if not being a really backdoor playoff contender. Michigan loses, Iowa loses, Kentucky loses, Ole Miss loses. Um, those are those are teams in the hunt for New Year's Six bowl bids, like. Notre Dame um, that are sort of not really playoff serious contenders, but New Year's Six contenders. It was a good, uh, it was definitely a good weekend for Notre Dame as it pertains to, you know, their postseason chances at the moment. I forgot Pittsburgh as well. <laughs> no, I didn't. I did not. Forget. You put Kenny Pickett ahead of Karen Williams on your Heisman ballot. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Threw for 500 yards. Yeah, two picks, including the game ender, but whatever. 500 yards. Brendan Armstrong may top that by the end of the night. We'll see. Yeah, good point. Uh, I'm going to have to revisit, revisit that tomorrow morning. It's been a lot. I mean, we, we've said it every single week, but it continues to bear, you know, true. Um, just a wild season. I mean, Penn State couldn't stop Illinois' run game and bottled up Ohio State tonight and was very close to winning that game. Like, after last week, I was ready to declare Ohio State outside of Georgia, the best team in the country, or at least the team that I had the most faith in to make a run. And after tonight, I'm like, yeah, maybe not. Um, I'll be very curious. I don't know if we will have recorded by uh, the time it comes out. Tuesday is the first, Tuesday night's first college football playoff rankings. And outside of Georgia being one, I mean, you look at analysts throughout the country putting their, their projected top four up here, and none of them are like. You can pick any of them apart all you want, and they – you know, who's to disagree with any of you because it's completely subjective at this point. I'm just very curious to see, you know, for Notre Dame's sake, where's Cincinnati? Because if Cincinnati's not there now, they're never going to get there because they're not going to win enough games, yeah. have enough quality wins, especially after SMU lost tonight. That was an undefeated team still on Cincinnati's schedule. Um, especially after SMU lost, Cincinnati's not going to be able to play their way back in there. I, I would think they're in the top four, but even Kirk Herbstreit at the end of the Ohio State game tonight has Ohio State in there at number three. And it's like their best win tonight was just – their best, they have a, a loss already, and their best win of the season came tonight against a team that's on a three-game losing streak and lost to freaking Illinois last week. So, I, I don't know. I mean, Alabama having a loss, I think, adds to it all. Alabama does have some some pretty big wins. Um, Oklahoma's undefeated. They haven't looked all that good, but you know what? Like, not too many teams can say they haven't lost one yet, and there's something to be said for that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very I'm curious, first and foremost, where Cincinnati ends up. And then where's their name end up? I, I mean, they'll be top ten, that's for sure. Um, and depending on how well, how well the committee views Cincinnati, maybe they'll be like I remember fifteen. They lose by two to Clemson, and that was Clemson's first year of this like run under Dabo. And you thought, all right, like you know, that's not the worst loss in the world. Although it would have been a good win. ND's not going to be top four. Where are they? And I think they debuted at five because Clemson was one, and the committee really liked Clemson that year. And ND. Was in it till the end. They're, they don't want the schedule to get back into it this year, I don't think. 
but um, no, I am, they definitely don't. I'm curious, like what, how high does the committee view Clemson? Excuse me, how well, Cincinnati, and what's that mean for Notre Dame? How could we overlook Michigan impending Big Ten West champion Wisconsin, which is like suddenly that's going to end up as a, a kind of a nice win for Notre Dame. So is, so um, is Purdue. <laughs> Purdue, yeah, also a nice win today. Um, and then look, I mean, Cincinnati will win out. Wisconsin will finish nine and three. You think so? Purdue seven and five. Um, I, I wouldn't guarantee anything with anyone in the West right six now. Six and six. I don't know. I mean, well, for, so Virginia nine and three probably. Yeah, I mean, they, they got to play. If Notre Dame wins the game. They got to go to. They play Pitt. That'll decide the coastal. That's yeah, Pat Narduzzi. I mean, come on. <laughs> so I, I think Notre Dame will. We'll have better wins at the end of the year than I would have thought two weeks ago, but worse wins at the end of the year than I would have thought three months ago. If that makes yeah, sense. that like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> the schedule I thought was was you know pretty good when the season started, and then it got real bad real fast. And I think it's going to rebound to just sort of be slightly below average, opposed to like an affront to everyone's senses. <laughs> and that's that's all right. I mean, that doesn't get you to the playoff, but it definitely gets you to the year six, and probably even does it ten and two if you lost to Virginia. Potentially, I don't want to. I don't want to predict that at this point. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how how this unfolds. I mean, Michigan State, like they're they're gonna make it at at the worst very hard to keep them out of the DR six New Year six at this point. Um, Perfect Notre Dame Michigan State Fiesta Bowl. Your, your favorite team growing up, right? Against your uh, yeah team you cover now. There you go. Um, yes, man. How about them? Holy cow! I mean, yeah, I'm not shocked they beat be. Michigan, but just the fact that they made it this far undefeated with a second-year coach is just – and 20-something guys from the portal, it's it, – that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's wild. It's just – I mean, it's just a completely different program construction than where Notre Dame is right now. Um, and, like, having grown up in Michigan and seeing what a total train wreck was Michigan State was for most of my childhood, um, it's really impressive to watch what, what Mel Tucker has done up there. Uh, so – Look, I. What do I want from Notre Dame season? I want them to go to New Year's Six game, and I want them to play a brand name opponent from the Big Twelve or the SEC. Ole Miss and Kentucky, they're out. Iowa's out. I didn't want to see Iowa anyway. Penn State obviously is out. Michigan, it's like Michigan or Michigan State. I would like to see whoever doesn't go to the Rose Bowl against Notre Dame in a New Year's Six game. That's pretty much. That's very much on the table right now, and. Even I think even if Michigan lost to Ohio State, which they will, um, that that they I don't think that would eliminate them from New Year's Six contention automatically. Um, could be tricky, but I don't think it would be an automatic. Well, they they got to win at Penn State, which is a place they've had tough times yes, winning at. That um, is not uncomplicated place to like to play. Ten, ten and two Michigan, you're in. Nine and three, probably yeah. not. Um, but I mean, what wouldn't it be? I mean. Let's say Ohio State wins out and they get in the playoff. Michigan State or whomever Goes to the to Rose, Rose Bowl. Bowl. And then it would probably be the third team that Notre Dame would play, which I hope not Wisconsin again. Yeah, I mean, that's where I think you're just sort of hoping it's Michigan. Right. If you're Notre Dame. Or, I mean, there's the like, last, I don't know. I mean. I don't want to see Iowa. No, thank you. Well, at this point, it's probably not. It's going to be Minnesota or Wisconsin, and I don't have faith in either of them. <laughs> Mm-mm. No, definitely not. And it's not – I don't know if there's a real – you know, is Auburn going to be good enough to play their way all the way up to that as SEC number three if Alabama and Georgia both go to the playoff? 
Maybe. But, but, I would watch. I would. I would watch that game as well. Can, like that'd be a great one. Can we talk about the fact that? It, well, it's Halloween now as we record this. Georgia has already won the SEC East before November. Like that is insane. Our, our stat maven Jason Starr did a little research for me. He said it ties two other times that's happened in the SEC. Uh, but that's just insane to me. Like as dominant as they've been, like I don't think like there are only so many ways you can say this without truly appreciating them and like. Literally, we're going to Atlanta no matter what. We've got a month of football left to play. Like, that's just absurd. Yeah, no, it's it is. I mean, it's really impressive, and I, that's I I sort of enjoyed something that Kirby Smart said after the game as it relates to Notre Dame about like you can't out out coach talent. Um, Georgia has the most of it. If not, they have the second most. Um, you know, and I think that sort of ties back into what we're seeing from Notre Dame's defense right now. It's like it's not an overly talented group other than Foskey, Adam Alola, MTA up front. I think the rest of that rest of that defense is it is in sore need of an upgrade in talent. So I've, what, I'm, I'm curious, like eight games into this, how you view Marcus Freeman. What – what is sort of your feeling on like where he is as a coach and the job he's done this season? But like Brian Kelly said the exact same thing to you when you asked about Kyron Williams' run. He said it's about players, not plays. So just yeah. pretend they're all Kyron Williams and you got Georgia and South Bend right now. Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I don't think there's been a more, um, and this is saying a lot considering it's Notre Dame, but like I, I don't know a guy who like the fan base and everyone has been more hot and cold on at the same time. I mean, Reese to an extent, too, because he's a coordinator. But, like, Freeman gets Mostly here. Mostly just cold, though, on Reese. <laughs> Freeman gets here. You know, where's the hot? There's no hot on Reese. You know, there are some people replying. There should be. There were some people replying to me saying his 2012 season is up there for most valuable of Kelly's. Okay. Which, okay. If you want to go, go for it. Um, yeah. But, like, you know, Freeman gets here. All right. Like, they outfox everyone to get him. That's great. He gets a couple big recruits. Oh, my God. Like, He's a coach in waiting. Like, your, your fan survey. Like, he's our next coach. Like, can, yeah. can he coach one game at the Power 5 level before, no. we, before we, like, entertain that idea, maybe? Um, and then the first two games were not good. Um, I, you know, Brian Kelly has said in so many ways, look, it's a new system. It's new players. We didn't expect it to be firing on, on, on all cylinders overnight. Kelly obviously has a lot invested in him. He's going to protect him every time he speaks about him. I get that. I'm not saying he's wrong. Um, I don't know because it's a different system, and I think it's a system that, and I, I don't say this to give him a pass because like you're you're still playing for everything this year. There are no mulligans. There's no like easing into it. Like Clark Lee system was going to work regardless of players, um, in my opinion. Where, I don't know about I, I wouldn't go that far. No, but I mean, regardless, like, regardless not, of players, but like, you knew the style of defense they were going to play. You knew they weren't going to give up too many big plays. They might not have like the game breaking um, takeaways and the dominance of a Georgia or an Alabama in their better years. But you knew what you were going to get out of them. It was I don't want to say safe, but it was a known commodity. Whereas here, it's completely different, and we're seeing it now, and we we thought this coming in and this was when they had Kyle Hamilton like you're placing the best linebacker in the country um, you've got a unit that like just doesn't have a whole lot of star power they got some really good guys up front they got the best free safety in the country uh, and after that it's a bunch of like good well coached football players but I don't know 
you know, to, to get them to play a completely different style um, when they're not all Nicobe Deans, like it, it was going to be an adjustment. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, he's been fine. I, I don't think he's been, you know, he hasn't reinvented the wheel yet. I also don't think it's, it's really come back to hurt them yet. Um, I don't think defense lost them. The only game they lost um, as good as Cincinnati's offense looked at times that game. But um, I, I think it's going to be a process. I think we can stop the coaching waiting talk for next year at least. Um, but it's 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 been fine. Um, I think the jury's still out as far as like how good it can be. I would agree with that. I think if you're Notre Dame and you want to put a silver lining on it, I think it means it'll be back next year, right? Like that was I think there was sort of a a fear of Notre Dame fandom that like he would be one and out because he would be so good. Um, you know, he's clearly still growing as a coach. Could somebody hire him? Yeah. Um, do I think that will happen? Like, would Cincinnati hire him if they had an opening? Yeah, I don't. I don't think they would be like, well, the North Carolina game wasn't very good, Marcus. <laughs> um, but I, I think that sort of his the temperature on him has dropped. Um, as a recruiter, he is basically as hot as he was when he sh- when he took the job. Um, as a coach, I think he's a young coach who's still growing into the role. And like, I don't think we do a very good job uh, sometimes looking at college football and expecting seeing growth during a season as a negative because it's viewed as like, well, how come you weren't ready when the season started? I mean, that's not a way to develop as a coach. It's not the way to run a college football program. So he, I, but he's got to show something. That I think in the the final month of the season that will get you feeling like, all right, next year, Hamilton's gone. Uh, Foskey might be gone. What happens when the defense is some dudes who are really young, but it's, you know, you, I don't think you can afford to rebuild next year defensively. You have to be good to go from the jump. So finding some finding something in this next month where the players say, like, this is our system, this is what we do, what you reference, Clark Lee, almost the players don't matter. Like, they don't not they, matter they, at all. No, but right. Just like a system. Like, I, Notre Dame's system right now, I'm not sure we have a really good handle on, like, I think the players are still, like, kind of figuring everything out. And I think Freeman's probably still figuring some things out. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think recruiting is recruiting. I mean, I think we've all talked to people in Columbus who have said, like, wow, we actually got to watch out for Notre Dame on the road now when they come into our state. We did not have right. to do that before. I mean, that's a credit to Marcus Freeman and what he's brought there. As far as one and done, I mean, I think, you know, the, the stock report has cooled off a little. That said, there are already so many openings. There are going to be even more a month from now. I think it would be premature. I mean, Mike Sanford got a head coaching job as the offensive coordinator on a 4-8 Notre Dame, Notre Dame team in which he didn't even call the plays. So, I, I mean, the hiring practices in college football are not exactly That's true. like the most logical. Um, so I'd be hesitant to say, yeah, well, he's definitely coming back next year. Um, do I think he'll be USC's next coach? No. Um, but, you know, like Cincinnati, a couple others, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, Michigan State, if Mel Tucker goes down to LSU, I mean, maybe. Um, I don't know. Um it will be that'll be something to watch, but I also think that's something that's just not at the forefront of conversation now, the way we thought it might be two months ago. Yeah, no, and I, but I think that's a significant change from two months ago, right? Like the se- the season, like Notre Dame is about where we thought they would be, right? I think we both said ten and two when the season started. 
maybe they're a half game ahead, but the Virginia game's a little bit more tricky. North Carolina was not. Um, but their path to get here has been pretty interesting because it's, it's not how I thought Notre Dame would be playing. I thought they would be more offensive first, but not this offense. I thought the defense would be more aggressive than it's been. Um, I was not baking in the fact that the best safety to play at Notre Dame, maybe ever, would not potentially be out for the season. So it's um, how they're getting there has been a lot different, which has been fun to cover. I think it's been stressful at times for Brian Kelly. I think it's been uplifting at times for Brian mm-hmm. Kelly because he's sort of seen some in-season growth that's that could be rare or at least not as obvious. But, um, I mean, the one thing I was confident in Notre Dame is that it would be really entertaining and, like, they have – they have been spot on with that. They have, and like, credit Brian Kelly. I mean, you know, he's he's had a pretty, for the most part, good mood, especially like in a, a night like tonight when he's speaking post game about the growth of this team. I mean, it, at risk of sounding like people may be taking this for granted, like it can get really boring just winning the games you're supposed to win again and again and again. If it wasn't, more teams would do it, uh, and they don't. We see so many good teams lose to bad teams every week. And Notre Dame does not do that, even in games in which they're outplayed. They, they, they find a way within to come out on top. And I think last year they could snap their fingers and do that. This year they can't. And I think that's been kind of, I wouldn't say a welcome challenge, but it's been a challenge that has given everyone a second wind here and has forced them to dig deeper than I think the, they probably thought they would have to. And I think in many ways that's a good thing. Um, it also reminds me of Clemson, who as we keep talking about how tough next year's schedule is, I have no idea how tough it's going to be because I have no idea if Clemson football is going to be the well, Clemson football yeah. that we, uh, we've we come to know or the Clemson football that just won its first game against a power five or an FBS opponent by double digits today. Yeah, that's – I mean, hey, that's why college football is great because you never know what the hell is going to happen before it happens uh, as much as we all like to spend time pretending and talking about how we do. So I, that's why the sport's freaking great. Um I don't know if you have any, it's one thirty-five a.m. Stamp, Stanford right. just took the lead, thirteen twelve. They were down thirteen. They were down twelve three at home to Washington. They're now winning. Okay, I don't know. Is that more entertaining than BYU fifty-nine, Virginia forty-nine with ten thirty-five? It was forty-five forty. Oh, BYU got the ball back. This is gonna get. Man, I mean, Virginia is still going to be tough to defend, but I don't know if they'll be coming off a huge win um, at BYU or a record-breaking win at BYU. They're down ten points no. right now, but Doesn't they were down twenty-one nothing and got right back into it. We'll see. All right. Well, yeah, you got to we be back. <laughs> we will be back next week for uh, mutual respect week, um, Navy, and then sort of. But I think you and I are in agreement. Like Notre Dame season, how it's remembered probably will come down to how they play in Virginia. Um, it's that's going to be the marker between do they go eleven and one, and we're talking about how this is Brian Kelly's best coaching job, or do they finish ten and two, and we're just talking about hey, good season and transition year. So it's. It, uh, there's plenty to be played out, and like we were just talking about, Nordic is entertaining, and they're full of surprises. So I appreciate both of those things. Um, I don't know if the fan base appreciates them, appreciates them as much as I do, but this is a fun team to watch. Um, it have been There's some good personalities on the group, too, so that, that also helps from a reporter's perspective. So we will be back next week with... Uh, a midweek episode of the Shamrock getting ready, ready for Navy um, and then head out from there. So he's Matt Fortuna in Chicago. I'm Pete Sampson in South Bend. You've been listening to another episode of the Shamrock.